Hello, this is Brian McCormick welcoming you to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the Resource for Leaders, LeaderNetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Patrick Lincioni. He is an author, speaker, consultant, and president of The Table Group. He has achieved remarkable professional success and is noted for his ability to boil the complex into concepts we can successfully implement in our lives and in our leadership. He is a respected author of such books as The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Silos, Politics, and Turf Wars, Death by Meeting, The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive, The Five Temptations of a CEO, and his recent release, which has met with critical praise, titled The Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Beyond his professional insights and success, Patrick Lencioni is a husband and father, a man of strong faith, and one who practices and preaches humility. For his National Leader of the Month feature, Mr. Lencioni responded to questions about his leadership in writing and then spoke with me to respond to additional follow-up questions. Excerpts from our conversation follow. In addition to sharing successes and offering us a window into his life and leadership, Patrick Lencioni offers these specific insights. Important advice for leaders, books recommended for leaders, and the traits most important in a leader. Now enjoy this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Patrick Lencioni. I had asked you to talk about your favorite quotation, and you had shared from Samuel Johnson that people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about the significance of what that quote means to you? I just am overwhelmed by how much knowledge we all have and how educated we are and how little of it we actually use. <laughs> I think there's such a premium on remembering things at the right moment so we can tap into it. Sure. And that's really what my work is about, is trying to net things out for people and reduce a lot of complication down to those things which truly matter. Because I find that success in my life and in my faith and everything else is really about remembering what's most important, not about accumulating more knowledge. Oh, terrific. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done in order to help boil that down for people? I know you just released your newest book and reviewing some of the uh, thoughts on Amazon. Sounds like that's come out to great fanfare and, and people have really been pleased with the book. But uh, you, you've released the newest book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job, and then of course also with your consulting. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, that notion of boiling things down to, to their essence? Yeah, you know, I love it when people will read one of my books and say, gee, I think I knew all that stuff in there. I just don't know why I'm not doing it. Okay. And, and I consider that a great compliment. Um, I don't pre pretend to be creating a lot of new, new, new information. I'm not a researcher. I'm a, I'm a field researcher. And I just see in people's behaviors that they're not behaving in a way that's consistent with producing the kind of results they want. And I just call that out to them, and they find it insightful. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I don't think it's about 
you know, inventing a lot of new things. I think it's more about framing things in a way that people can use. And the three signs of a miserable job, I, I make it very clear, and in fact, I use the Samuel Johnson quote in the intro, I'm just going to try to remind people of things they probably already know, but people get and they say, why am I not doing this stuff? This is so simple, and yet I'm not doing it. I have to get back to the basics. Sure. Well put. When asked to recommend books for aspiring leaders, uh, you had mentioned a couple books, and I was wondering if you could talk about each of those. First, you had recommended A Call to Joy and the Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. Can you talk a little bit about why you recommend that book? Well, you know, for me personally, Matthew Kelly is one of the best writers I, I know of. He, he writes from a spiritual and self-improvement basis. He's a Catholic Christian writer. And, and his book, um, A Call to Joy and then um, The Rhythm of Life, are those are the two I cited, right? Uh, yes, and then you also had mentioned Lead Like Jesus by Ken Blanchard. And then Blanchard. Ken Blanchard's Lead Like Jesus, of course. But Matthew Kelly's books... Um, just make it clear about what's important in life and what we need to keep our eyes focused on and how to improve ourselves as people. Matthew Kelly in The Rhythm of Life talks about the four areas of our lives that we have to master, spiritual, physical, emotional, and intellectual. And it's simple stuff, but it's something I can get my hands around. And then Ken Blanchard wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus. I'm a Christian, of course. And um, to me, it really boils down, as Ken says, the best leadership role model of all time. Um, and really boils down what it is that Christ did. So for me, those are the most important books in my life and that speak to leadership and things around becoming a better person. Sure. Okay, great. You had mentioned, when I asked you your place in the world you most like to visit, you had identified Napa Valley. And I'm just curious, what is it about Napa Valley that for you makes it the place in the world you most like to visit? Well, it has nothing to do with wine, because I really don't drink much wine. <laughs> and I don't drink any when I go up there. <laughs> I can get to the Outville in Napa Valley, which is a little north of the town of Napa, which is really the heart of the Napa Valley, what people know it for, in about 45 minutes from my house. And when I go there, I feel like time stops. And it's beautiful, but there's kind of an orderly beauty to it. It's beautiful hills and trees and everything, but then there's these amazing vineyards. And for me, it allows me to do my best thinking and to relax. And my wife and I have been going up there for years. We don't so much anymore because we've got four little boys. But that's where I started doing a lot of my writing. Because of my family situation, I can't do that anymore. But um, I just love it up there because it makes me feel like I'm in a different world and time stops. And I place such a premium on that because life is just running so fast all the time right now. Sure. You know, a related question that I have is I find it interesting to talk to authors about how their writing experience is. Can you talk a little bit about your writing experience? Is it something where you can simply sit down and, and things spill out of you, or do you need to remove yourself at all from uh, some of life's distractions? How does that experience go for you? It's a little bit of a mix for me. I'm easily distracted. That's my, that's my personality style. So I need to get away. But I can't stay away for too long because it's interacting with people that's, that spurs my thinking. What I, what I often like to do, and I don't do it enough lately, is when I go to a hotel, I like to go sit down in the lobby at night. So there's still people walking in and out of the lobby and distracting me, and I can talk to the front desk or, or just watch people. And it provokes my thinking. So I like to be, if you will, away from family and friends who I would 
not be able to work around because I, I enjoy their company too much, but not hold up in a room by myself as an extrovert, that just drains me of my energy. So I, I like the, to retreat, but not too far, so that I can still have human contact because it, it makes me think better. Sure. Okay. I'd asked you about um, some of the things that have been vital to your development, and one of the things you had mentioned was your years as an, a management consultant at Bain & Company. And yes. Can you talk a little bit about what you have drawn from that experience from your past? Absolutely. Bain was the hardest two years in my career and the most valuable, probably. I mean, I worked on a, in a good week 65, 70 hours and a few times 90 hours. And it was, it was not very pleasant at times. It was um, difficult. It was slightly demeaning at times because I was right out of school. But the, the rigor of the job and the discipline it taught me and what I had to learn on the fly, I draw on till this day. And no job has ever been difficult since I left that job. So it's kind of like boot camp. You know, people say, would you, would you want to do it again? No, but it's probably the best thing I ever did. And it taught me a rigor and a way to think of things and analysis that serves me to this day because I think the key to my work is that though it's in the softer realm of business, I don't approach it in a touchy-feely way, and I get that from Bain. Sure. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. In your advice to aspiring leaders, you had talked about being humble and hungry. Could you talk a little bit about that advice and what you mean by being humble and hungry? Sure. I think that those are the two qualities that make for a great leader. Humble meaning you do not, in, my, in this case, in this definition, that you do not believe that you are inherently a better or more important person than the people you lead. So you see yourself as their equal or better yet as their servant, as Ken Blanchard's book talks about. On the other hand, though, to be a great leader, you have to recognize that your, the words and actions that you choose and that you take are going to have a greater impact than the average person. And you have to do both of these things at once, which is hard because people who are really humble oftentimes think, well, who am I to lead people and to get up in front of people and inspire them? Or on the other hand, people who are not terribly humble but are confident in getting up and inspiring people often think, well, I must be a pretty special person. And so to be a great leader, you have to simultaneously embrace both of these concepts. Hmm. As Jim Collins likes to say, reject the tyranny of the or and, and embrace the genius of the and. And simultaneously be humble to the people you lead, but, but also be comfortable being out front. And that's part of what hunger is about, wanting to drive things forward, but not in the ego sense. Hunger is also not being complacent sure. and, and, and not needing others to, to provoke you to greater action. So I think those are the two things. If you can be hungry to achieve a lot, but humble enough to recognize that you're not more important than others, it, that's what keeps you in balance as a leader. Terrific. And I, I enjoyed hearing you touch on humility as Herb Kelleher, another leader that we're just finishing up featuring. Uh, that was really one of the things that I think has made him so successful and a model that a lot of uh, corporate leaders you know, talk about at different meetings. Um, he, through kind of his self, self-deprecating humor, has really um, advocated using humility and the importance of that as a leader. So, enjoy. Absolutely. And Southwest Airlines is probably one of the best examples. The most successful company in American history in the last 35 years, financially and otherwise, the largest air carrier in the United States, a great company, and yet if you walk the halls, as I've done because I've worked with them, it, it reeks of humility. 
there's not a sense of arrogance there, and that comes from Herb and Colleen, one of his other people early on, and Gary, the CEO today, Gary Kelly. So it's a great example of the power of humility. Hmm. When asked about your most admired leader, you had identified John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, and you had talked about how they stayed true to their beliefs and then inspired others to better lives. Could you talk about what personal traits that you think allowed them to stay true to their beliefs? And, and can you also maybe talk about how those two uh, men have inspired you? Yeah, well, but the thing about them, and I think this is so critical in any leader, is they have core beliefs. And, and whether or not those beliefs are popular, they are more important than that. And, of course, they had great faith in God, which I, which I, I believe is critical. And when you look back, when Reagan and John Paul II died, there was all this adulation, these amazing ceremonies. And, if you, and I'd always remind people, remember, they were hated in the media. Mm. They were vilified for, be, for not being flexible and not being, going with the times. And, and it would have been very tempting, as it is for all of us, and I know I struggle with this, to soften your stances on things, not because it's right, but because it would make people like you and it would make them less uncomfortable. Sure. And neither of them did that. And in the end, they achieved greater good. I mean, the two of them together really brought down a very difficult situation in the, in the, the eastern part of Europe with the communism and, and the violence and the, and the suppression and the censorship there. They did that by not wavering. And yet they were both very affable and loving people. I think they really liked their adversaries and those that didn't agree with disagree with them. So they weren't bitter, but they weren't wavering. And I think in this era of political correctness and compromise and waffling, I think there's something to be said for kindly, lovingly sticking to what you believe is true. And in the end, it, it, it produces good things and wins the admiration of people, even though way back when, that admiration didn't seem so readily available. Hmm. For me, I struggle with the need to be well-liked. And sometimes I think my skin is too thin. Sure. And I think that's probably why I admire them so much, because I try to draw on the, the principle of people like that, who could stand in the face of great criticism and say, I can't deny what I think is best and what I think is right. Well put. I, that reminds me of a poster I used to hang on the wall, and I, I too struggle with this, but it, it's a doing what is right isn't always easy, but it's always right. <laughs> but, and, you know, we think that all the battles have been fought in life, but we all confront these things every day in little ways and sometimes in big ways. Sure. Are we going to do what's right or are we going to do what's easy? Definitely. Talking about some of the leadership highlights of your life, you had talked about watching the people that you manage grow and flourish. Can you ex expound on that a little bit? Sure. I, I think that I'm a closet um, career development advocate. You know, I, I just love talking about career development and helping people find their passion in life. And I love hiring people who think they're capable of something and then watching them take on a leadership role and develop an expertise and notoriety and a career and a confidence and, and seeing them become something that they didn't see in themselves but was always there. Mm. And so more than anything else, that's probably the most tangible thing I've got. I've got these wonderful people that I work with who are so talented and so wonderful and have qualities that I wish I had. And many of them started in administrative roles or in other things and today are considered to be experts in their field. And there's probably nothing more rewarding than that for me. 
because sure. they look back and say, man, I wish at the time, and they, they didn't want me to push them sometimes, but they're really glad that I did, and, and, and they deserve a lot of credit for having the courage to, to, do, to follow through. Great. Talking about some of the traits that are most important in a leader, you had listed humility, drive, and compassion. Out of humility, drive, and compassion, first, I'd like to ask you a number of questions about the three. First, of the three, would you identify one as more important than the others? Probably not. I would probably say they're kind of a three legs of a stool. I mean, it would okay. be easier for me to say compassion, because I think that's near and dear to my heart. I think we all need to be that way. But when it comes to being a leader, if you don't combine humility and drive, any one of those taken away kind of leaves you short. Sure. Okay. Um, so I don't think I would put one ahead of the other. All right. My next question then is, which of the three do you think we, and I guess as we, I would say, uh, aspiring leaders which of the three do you think we maybe possess more of just innately? And is there one of the three that maybe we we really kind of have a shortfall of right now in America? I would say most people who identify themselves, especially early in life, as wanting to be a leader have drive. Okay. Yeah, very few people are sitting on a couch watching cartoons or playing video <laughs> games saying, boy, I really want to be a leader. So I don't think drive is what's missing. I think later in life it is, as we grow up the management food chain, if you will, or the leadership food chain, I think sometimes we, we lose that drive. But I think most of us have an inherent sense of drive if we think of ourselves as leaders. I think that that humility thing, really embracing your own humility and vulnerability and understanding that it's those people in life who are comfortable with their weaknesses who are usually the strongest. Sure. The ones that can be readily apparent or, or, or that can be very upfront about what they're not good at and can ask others to help them and can acknowledge others who are better than they are, I think those are the best leaders. So I think humility is often missing. Okay. And then compassion is just turns all of that into leading for something that's good, I think. Sure. Okay. I'm aware of the fact that all of this sounds might sound somewhat cliched, but it's, 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 it's how I feel about, about leadership. No, I, and I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I, I, think, that, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. So okay, good. I think it's great. Is there anything you could think about for the story question? Uh, simply because that's my favorite prompt. Um, is there a story that might be able to encapsulate what you all are all about, uh, either just yourself or as a leader. Um, any story you think that, that you could share about that? Oh, goodness. Let me try to think. I mean, that's, there's so many things probably to draw on. And are you thinking about something about myself personally? Either, it, it could be about you. It could be just about what it means to be a good leader. Right. Either okay. way, either personally or it wouldn't have to be personally. Either way. You know, I'm I'm always I'm always in admiration of people who can lead in difficult times. Okay. And who can persevere. And I'm trying to think what my favorite story about that would be. You know, I guess one thing I would say, I think this is more of a testament to teamwork than anything else, is I became a youth soccer coach last year. So here I am, a best-selling author on teamwork and leadership. And then I, 
I volunteered to coach my son's soccer team. I have twin boys, so we had 12 boys on our team. And I don't know a heck of a lot about soccer. I played it for two years when I was a kid, and I, I don't follow. I didn't follow it very much. And we were in a competitive league with with other very good coaches and nice people, but who knew a lot about soccer. And I remember last year, and I have to tell you, I worried about this probably for the wrong reasons that I wasn't going to measure up. And so I remember thinking, well, darn it, maybe it's not about soccer. Maybe it's about teamwork, and maybe it's about inspiring these kids to be more than they think they can be. And through through often humbling experiences and, and hardworking experiences and doing some things that were a little bit kooky in terms of bringing the boys together and talking about attitude and life, we built a little team that was really, really good and won most of their games. But most importantly, every one of those kids wanted to play again on the same team. I mean, uh, the majority of them said, we don't want to play on another team. We don't want to stop playing. We really want to keep being on this team. Hmm. And it was beyond soccer. It was some, about being part of something bigger and where they were growing. And I'm tough on them sometimes. And I think, boy, these kids are going to hate playing for me. And I came to realize everybody wants to become the best version of their self, as Matthew Kelly, my friend, says. And so sometimes I think we overestimate the power of knowledge and specific technical skills and underestimate the power of role, being a role model and just leading and trying new things and putting ourselves out there. Oh, that's but a great I, story. And I, I chose the kids on the team for their attitude, who I thought would listen and try hard, and some weren't very fast and some weren't that skilled, but it was just so great to, to coach and lead a bunch of kids who, who wanted to be there and were willing to be a team player more than an individual. Excellent. What about looking at some of the clients that you've worked with in the past? I'm curious, what was it like working for the military academy at West Point? Well, I taught classes there and, 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 and visited and spoke at an event there. Okay. Um, and then I, I also did a session for the 82nd Airborne in, in Fort Bragg in North Carolina. But what I would say, what struck me about both of those organizations, and it was far and away the most impressive aspect of what I saw was the humility there was undeniable. Hmm. Here were leaders in our military, very high-ranking, and kids at the academy who were the cream of the crop in their high schools. And nowhere have I ever gone where people were so respectful and gracious and hungry to learn from others. And it made no sense to me that these generals and leadership experts, people who have often created new ideas around leadership that the rest of the world is looking for, were hungry to learn from me and my theories. Frankly, it just made no sense, but what it said to me was they really want to get better, and they're willing to learn from anyone. And that impressed me more than anything. Wow. I've been in, in environments where people had a lot less reason to be proud and were, could be arrogant. And these, these young people, men and women, were so humble and gracious. It made me feel good about my country, made me feel very good about people going into leadership who will be in the private and public sector for many years. Wow, okay. How about with you personally? What, what's kind of your next objective? What are some of your other goals on the horizon here over the next few years? Well, I think there's two things, primarily, um, and maybe three. I mean, we, we want to continue to do the work we do for organizations, help CEOs and leaders and, and, and organizations build the kind of effective cultures that produce more and make people better at those organizations. But we're also going to take a look at um, three different things. Faith, which is helping churches run their organizations more effectively. We've done a lot of that, and that's something that's near and dear to my heart. Family, we think that families 
there's a few basic principles from, from business that families could easily utilize to make them stronger organizations because families are the most important organizations in our lives, and yet we usually run them in a very reactive, scattershot manner. Okay. And then finally, the less fortunate, we, we, we would like to kind of do some work around providing clearer, simpler answers around how maybe we can do more to help the less fortunate. So we're kind of going, we're staying in our business, but we're doing faith, family, and the less fortunate in the new year. Terrific. Are there any other things that you can think of that you'd like to see in a feature about you and leadership? I cannot imagine being a leader without faith in God, because for me, that's where my humility comes from, is it's not about me. The other thing is, I don't feel myself worthy to be featured on anything called Leader of the Month, because I am so very flawed, and I know that. And I suppose all leaders are, but I feel pretty unworthy to be linked with it, with with what you're talking about. And so I, I guess it's just that sense. And then appreciation for my parents who, who weren't college educated and didn't have advantages that I had and came from very humble, poor backgrounds and, you know, cared enough about me to put me in a position that I could be writing books and doing the things I'm doing. One other question I would like to, to give you a shot at is, is there any important piece of advice that you've been given that you could share? good friend of mine um, who wrote a book on coaching and leadership, his name is Daniel Harkavy, he said, give your best to your best. And what he means by that is, in the, like, balancing family and work and faith, don't short shrift those parts of your life that are most important. Mm. And, and I feel like I'm a better consultant and writer if I'm giving the appropriate amount of time and energy to my faith and my family. And it's so tempting and easy to cut those things because we have work to do. And I think it's a short-sighted trade-off. So save your best for your best is what he said. Hmm. And, and I think it's true. Great advice, definitely. Yeah, people gave me that advice earlier in my career, and I, I'm thankful for that because I've, I'm 42 and I've got four boys under 10, and I'm spending a lot of time with them. And I could be doing more in my career but I'm trying to find smarter ways to do more without sacrificing family. It's something that you're aware of, Brian. And so I don't look back later in my life and wish I hadn't. Sure. Well, it's good that you've had that, that you have that figured out already. And I'm sure that's going to reflect well as those four boys grow up. Uh, I think you're going to really bear the fruit of that insight here at a young age. That concludes our podcast with National Leader of the Month, Patrick Lencioni. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.